Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys today. We are wrapping up this series, and we're going to begin a new series next Sunday. I'll talk about the new series as uh, we get to the end of today's message. Over the last three weeks, I have done, or yeah, last three weeks, I've done my absolute best to highlight a few silent killers, destructive enemies sitting in the background of our lives wreaking havoc. Part one, three weeks ago, gave you a big overview of silent killers. We walked through why we do what we do, getting to the heart of our behaviors and attitudes. Part two, we discussed living a false story. Maybe somebody gave us a story and we kind of fell into it and began to live it when we were children and then we continued to live it as we grew up and as we matured. But now we realize that the story our mom gave us, our dad gave us, our grandparents gave us, or whatever, we really would love to get out of that and live a better story, a bigger story. So we talked all about that. And sometimes that sits in the background of our lives and just sucks the life right out of us. It sucks our energy out of us. Part three, last week, we exposed fear for what it is, and we opened up the story of David and Goliath I think like some of us have never seen before. I love taking a common Bible story that we've heard many times and opening our minds and our hearts to looking at it from a different perspective. And I think that happened last week. That was a real fun message to bring. Now today, part four, we're wrapping the series up and we're gonna do so by discussing one of the most sinister silent killers of all, and that's trauma. Unhealed wounds that some of us continue to carry and how they negatively impact everything and everyone in our lives. Are you ready for today's message? All right, good. My guess is many of you have a trigger or two. I know I do. Now, do you know what I mean when I say trigger? It's a uh, overused word. I hear it a lot, yet it continues to be the most accurate way of describing the phenomenon. You are triggered when you experience something in the present that brings back the memories, feelings, and even the physical sensations of a trauma you experienced in your past. I don't mean that you feel uncomfortable or you prefer not to talk about a particular topic or you disagree with someone and you get angry when they give their opinion. That is, that doesn't mean you're triggered. That, that's mostly typical emotions you feel when you're in an uncomfortable situation or you disagree with someone or someone disagrees with you. That's, that's not a trigger. A trigger acts like a time machine. It picks you up and returns you to a place in your past where you were hurt and you don't want to go there, but you're there. For instance, maybe Christmas while you were growing up was a lonely season for you. Maybe your parents divorced at that time in your life. They aban- you felt abandoned. You felt unwanted. So now, today, Christmas music triggers the emotions of loneliness and depression you felt when you were eight years old. Maybe you and your first spouse had your song, and then your marriage ended in a horror show, and now each time you hear that song, you either have to change the song or you have to sit in the negative emotions and the pain and the anger because that song, when you hear it, triggers all those things inside of you. Maybe you were abused as a child or a teenager, and now when someone discusses abuse or you hear about it, you immediately begin to experience sensations, anxiety, panic, fear. 
Maybe some of your worst experiences in life happened within the context of a church, within a church building. And now when someone opens the Bible or a preacher stands in front of you or you even see a cross or you go inside of a church or you hear the praise music that is going on in the auditorium, you can't help it, but it triggers terrible memories inside you. I have paid careful attention to myself over the last two or three years, and I've noticed a few triggers I have. Now, they're too personal to discuss in public, but they are real and they are present. And there are a lot of things to know about triggers, but I'm only going to give you a couple today. Just mention them as I set this message up. First of all, triggers reveal where we need healing. Whatever trigger you have in your life, it is an opportunity for you to explore it more, deal with it more, because it's showing you where in your life you need some healing. Number two, some triggers go away with healing. Some triggers always need managing. In other words, you may be healed from that trigger and never experience it again. There are some in my life that I had when I was a teenager, young adult, when I came to pastor here at Forest Park years ago. I no longer have them in my life today. I've experienced healing in that area. I've worked my way through that. God has done some great things in my life in that particular area. Uh, I don't have them anymore. But there's some other triggers in me I've had since I was a kid and probably always will have in my life. And I've had to learn to manage those triggers. So what about you? Have a, tig- a trigger or two or 12? Yeah. Are there times when you're involved in a conversation and for some reason the subject matter changes And you find yourself getting angry or embarrassed or confused or feelings of shame overwhelm you and you want to get out of that conversation as quickly as you possibly can. If someone doesn't acknowledge you or speak with you or if you think someone's upset with you, it bothers you deeply. You feel hurt, frustrated, or possibly even angry. And sometimes you're not sure why. In fact, you've asked yourself, why do I get so upset? At that, in, in that moment, why did I behave the way I did? Why did I feel the way that I did? Do you overreact when someone rejects you, when someone isn't available to you, when someone blames you or shames you, someone's too busy for you, someone appears not to be happy when they see you, someone tries to control you, someone tries to hold you accountable, someone challenges your belief or opinions, and all of a sudden these emotions and feelings and sometimes anger, panic, shame, embarrassment, all these things begin to kind of flood to the top. And You're like, what is wrong with me? What's going on here? And you're triggered in those moments. Here's what I've learned about myself and what I know about many of you. These feelings, emotions, sensations are arising not from what is happening in the present. It's, it's not that situation. It's not that movie. It's not that song. It's not, it's not the interaction you're having right now with your husband or with your wife or with a friend. It's not that when they sing that particular song in church, it really bothers you. It's, it's not the fact the band is singing the song or the song itself. It's not what's happening in the present. No, it's arising from what happened in your past, and it remains unhealed. Because your father rejected you and damaged you, any rejection today triggers painful emotions about yesterday. Because your mother criticized your choices and broke your confidence today, when someone criticizes your choices, it feels as if your mother is standing in front of you. You, You're in a time machine lifted and dropped back 20 years ago. 
Because of your learning disability, your parents' divorce, your husband's betrayal, your wife's affair, your sexual abuse, you are triggered by certain environment situations, people, conversations, sounds. Can I go so far as to say you were deeply wounded, and that wound remains. And it is so deep, it changed how you see and how you experience the world around you. When it happened, it shook you to your core. It caused you to question everything and everyone. It was so painful that even though you have been removed from the situation, you've moved, literally, physically, got up and moved to a new city, or maybe you divorced, or your father passed away, or you grew up and started your own career, or the man who hurt you is in prison today. Although the situation is no longer present, your body, your mind, your emotions continue to experience it as if it were very much present. And here's what we do. We typically try to move on, hopeful it will take care of itself. It doesn't take care of itself. Take it from one who's tried to move on. It doesn't take care of itself. Take it from one who has tried to cloak a lot of my pain through preaching, through building a church, through a variety of other things. It doesn't go away on its own. The unhealed trauma, the unhealed pain, the disappointment spreads inside us like an infection working its way through every area of our souls, minds, bodies, and relationships. We keep the image up, but behind the scenes, things are not good. We keep it together, but barely. And we often mistakenly think that we are experiencing during these triggering moments just hurt feelings. I mean, I, I'm just hurt. I got, I got my feelings hurt. We minimize. We, we, we thin it out. We act as if it's not really that big of a deal. We're just, we're just disappointed with what happened. Some, someone might say that we're just being a little too sensitive. And in our culture, there's not a lot of room for weaknesses. Not in the West, not, not in the good old U.S. of A., right? We're supposed to man up. We're supposed to be self-sufficient. We're supposed to not really need a lot of other people. We're self-made people. So people will say to us and we say to others, ah, come on, you're okay. Rub some dirt on it. Life's hard. That's just the way it is. Come on, suck it up, buttercup. Keep moving. And that's especially true for men. Men are rarely given permission to hurt, to be deeply wounded, to be triggered. But yet men experience every bit of it, but we're seldom given permission to express our pain. Unfortunately, as a result, men are really good at shoving the pain and the disappointment deeper inside. And over time, it erupts and we get ourselves involved in a lot of very difficult and complex issues. Why? Because our society expects men to be tough, right? To be hard, to be resilient. There's little room for men to be hurt. But here's what happened. Our deep hurt, our trauma damaged the biological makeup of our brain. If you were with us a few weeks ago, I did almost half of a message just on how the brain affects and how we are to renew our mind and how Paul teaches us the importance of renewing our mind. As your mind changes, you change. As a result of what you experienced, whether it was last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago or when you were a kid, as a result of what you experienced, you are different at the deepest levels of who you are. The trauma changed you. 
The pain, the disappointment, the hurt, the betrayal, the lies, the abuse, the accident, the diagnosis fundamentally altered you. The scars on the outside may have healed. You might have moved on. You may be remarried. You may have become tougher, more resilient. But listen to me carefully. Unless you have dealt with what happened, there is a high chance it is still present. And it affects you in ways and in areas, and you don't even realize it. You are not the same person. You're different. There is a before and an after. Before the trauma, after the trauma. Before the betrayal, after the betrayal. Before the pain, after the pain. Before the lies, after the lies. Before abuse, after abuse. You are fundamentally a different person. You live in an alternate reality. Hear me well. You need to know this. You see everything and everyone through the lens of what happened to you. You can't help it. We all do when we're hurt like that. We literally process everything through the experience of what we had happen. Our thoughts are filtered through the wounds. It's as if we put on a pair of trauma glasses and we look through it and it's coloring everything and everyone. We judge people's motives based on our pain. We judge people's attitudes based on our pain. We judge how we perceive God, worship, scripture, everything through the lens of the pain and the unhealed wounds that are still present. But we don't deal with them, do we? Now, a lot of us just say things like this. Well, you know, I'm a little quirky, sure. That's just my personality. I, I, I just don't like being touched, okay? Just, just, I don't like being touched. I'm really sensitive. I, I just struggle trusting people. It's kind of a family trait. You know, we all tr- struggle trusting people. We're not compatible. People get on my nerves. Okay, I'm just weird. Eh, I'll probably grow out of it. We come up with all kinds of reasons why we feel and think and behave the way we do, but we don't deal with what is at the core of it all, and that is trauma that was never healed, never dealt with. You see, when you go deep into what I'm discussing today, it explains so much about us. It answers why we struggle with relationships and why we battle anxiety, why we battle emotions, why our mood changes with the weather, why we've had difficulty with marriages, with sex, with addictions, why we struggle with God, with prayer, with compassion, with so, so much more. And one of the most common results to trauma as it relates to relationships is we protect ourselves. And I'm not casting blame. I lived it. I know. We protect ourselves. We, we build walls. We stiff-arm people. We keep ourselves at a distance. We, we create these internal defenses. Those of us who experience trauma often struggle with deep shame, with anger. We're ashamed of what someone did to us, how they made us feel, how much loss we experienced because of it. We feel violated, taken advantage of, betrayed. We feel foolish. And as a result, we carry shame and anger with us all the time and into all of our relationships. We're constantly alert to those around us who might hurt us or make us feel shame again. 
And anyone who criticizes us or highlights a weakness of ours, we immediately feel the need to defend ourselves and protect ourselves. We overcompensate by either striving for perfection. I'll prove that I'm great. I'll just perfect everything in my life. Or we put other people down and try to make ourselves look good. Or we're always carrying a chip on our shoulders because we think other people don't like us. We seem angry, passive-aggressive, arrogant, ultra-sensitive. Or we build external defenses. We close down. We close out. We fear allowing people to get too close. We're convinced that if we allow people to cross that boundary, they will hurt us like other people did. So we keep people at a safe distance so as to watch them closely and not allow them to get into our personal space. Sometimes we'll close the relationship down before the relationship closes on us. We give enough of ourselves to say, I tried but not enough of ourselves to ever get hurt again. We seem cold and numb and uncaring. Listen to me very carefully. If the people closest to you would describe you as angry, passive-aggressive, arrogant, ultra-sensitive, or they would describe you as cold, uncaring, uninvolved, opaque, as opposed to transparent, I can almost guarantee you you have unhealed trauma in your life. And as a result, we fall woefully short of our potential. We merely exist. We go to work, we pay our bills, but we don't know our purpose or our reason for existence. So what do we need? What a great question. What do we need? Would you like some hope? Yes, I would like some hope. Mark chapter 8, incredible story that Jesus presents to us, and it's tucked away in a little quick story we read, and we go, oh, that's a little strange story, but there's so much truth there. Mark chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch and heal him. Just stop right there in case you've got your Bible out or your app out. I don't want you to read ahead. I want you to follow along with me as I work our way through this quick story. I want you to notice something. This right here, is where some of us are today. We are in need of healing. And I want you to notice the man's friends knew he needed healing. And they brought him to Jesus for his sake. It doesn't say the man sought out Jesus. It doesn't say the man requested to be healed. It simply says the blind man's friends, some people in the town, took the man to Jesus. Now, I don't want to make more of this point than is intended by the author, but often our friends and family members know what we need more than we do. And they took him to Jesus. They wanted him to be healed possibly more than he wanted to be healed. Folks, men, sirs, listen to me carefully. Your anger issues and your lack of gentleness and your coldness toward your wife and kids might be written off by you as family traits, personality quirks, just the difference between men and women. But I'd guess that your wife would love for you to be healed from the pain and the trauma of your childhood and leave you that has left you in a state of woundedness. I bet if she could, she'd pick you up and carry you to Jesus and drop you at his feet and say he needs some help. Lady, I, I guess your inability to trust others, 
your lack of confidence in yourself and rarely experiencing peace in relationships might be labeled to you as by you as just the way I am and you don't believe there's a lot that can be done about it, but I'd bet your husband and your kids and your friends would love to see you healed from your insecurities and the pain and the abuse you experience as a child and a teenager. I bet if they could, they would pick you up and carry you to Jesus and drop you at his feet and say, please heal my mom. Please heal my wife. Please heal my friend. Sometimes our friend and family members know what we need more than we do. They experience the results of our trauma and brokenness in a way we don't experience it. We experience it from the inside out. They experience it from the outside in. Listen to those who love you the most. Do they think you need help? I would turn and ask you to ask the people around you, do I need help? We'd be here all day long. Ask your husband on the way home. Ask your wife on the way home. Ask your friend on the way home. Hey, do you think I need some help? And listen to what they say. Take their advice. Watch what happens next. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out of the village. Out of the village. Often, the greatest work is done in our lives when Jesus leads us away from everything we know and everything we're familiar with, outside of the crowds, outside of the attention, away from our duties and responsibilities, and we get alone with him, and he looks at us, and we look at him, and we get the work done. Sometimes we need to get away from our job, our duties, our, the hoopla, the image we have, the roles we play, the masks we wear, and we get away from all of that, and Jesus looks us in the eyes and says, what do you want? What do you need? And then something strange happens. After spitting on his eyes, And laying hands on the man, he asked him, do you see anything? Now, Jesus does something here that has no inherent medicinal benefit, spitting on his eyes. But it is what many of the people believed. There was a a common belief at this time that the spit of a rabbi could heal that there was some kind of healing effect in the spittle, and that's why he would make mud and rub it on the eyes and spit on the eyes. Jesus meets the man where he is and through what he believes to raise his faith and to encourage him. He meets him where he is. Jesus spits on the man's eyes, lays his hands on him, and prays for him, and then asks him this question, do you see anything? And this is one of the most bizarre occurrences in all of Scripture. The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees, only they are walking around. Jesus spits on him. You've got to imagine this in your mind. He puts his hands on him. He prays for him. He looks at the man and says, do you see anything? And the man opens his eyes. Light begins to come into his eyes. He looks around, and he sees images moving. And he knows that they're people because he can hear the people moving and walking but he can't make anything out. It's blurry. And he says, I see people, but they look like trees moving around. I can't make anything out. So when Jesus finishes praying for this man, his eyesight is still blurry. 
The quality of his eyesight is better, but it is not complete. And I've said everything I've said so far to get to this one line. And it's the only time in all of Scripture it happens, and I absolutely love it. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. Again. He looked with his eyes wide open. His sight was restored, and the man could see everything clearly. Now listen to me very carefully. I know some of us have questions about why we struggle with what we do. We wish God would heal us completely and restore us fully. There are times that you just don't know why you battle with what you battle with. You don't understand why God seems to do that for this person but not you. And why is it you have to battle in this area and that family never seems to battle in that particular area? Why do you struggle and they don't? Why, why, why can I have instant healing like him or her or whatever? But I want you to hear me. That does happen. But many, many people don't receive instant and full healing. For them, healing is gradual. Can I let you in on a secret? That's me. My healing in life has always been gradual. My emotional wounds, my internal battles with fear and anxiety and disappointment and lack of trust were battles I have fought for decades. You don't think I've prayed about them? You don't think I've asked God to take them away? Over and over again have I said, God, I really don't want to struggle with this. I would be so much better as a pastor, so much better as a leader, so much better as a husband, so much better as a father if I didn't struggle with X, Y, and Z. All you have to do is take those things away, and I would be so much better here. I would be so much more effective there. I mean, don't you want me to be effective? Don't you want me to accomplish great things? Come on, God, get with the plan here. Some of those things in my life have been healed. But some of those things have only been healed to the point I could actually see the difference over the last two or three years. I have always been a man Jesus needed to pray for again. In fact, if it would have been me in the story, there would have been a few more verses added. In fact, I took the liberty to write what I think would have happened had I been in the story instead of this man. Can I just read to you what I think would have happened? Here's what it would have sounded like. Then Jesus spat on Scott's eyes, and Scott got upset and said, why in the world are you spitting on me? Then Jesus explained to Scott that people believe that the spit of a rabbi has healing qualities. Then Scott said to Jesus, well, I don't believe that, so please don't spit on me again. Then Jesus prayed for Scott and asked Scott, what do you see? And Scott said, I see people, but they look like trees. So Jesus prayed for Scott again, and then Scott said, nope, still trees. And Jesus prayed for Scott a third time. How about now, Jesus said. Scott responded, yeah, that's much better, but I still can't make out faces. Will you pray for me again? But don't you spit or mud or anything else. So Jesus looked up to heaven, sighed, and prayed for Scott a fourth time. But how about now, Jesus said. And Scott said, yeah, we're almost there, Jesus. Let's do this one more time, and we should be good. And Jesus said, this is getting ridiculous, Scott. I have prayed 
prayed, never prayed for anybody five times. And Scott said, well, I know, but I was like really super blind, so I couldn't see anything. And Scott reached down and took Jesus' hands and placed it on his own eyes and said, okay, this should do it. And Jesus touched him, prayed for him the fifth time, and then Scott could see clearly. And then Jesus took a break and rested from all his interaction with Scott. That's what it would have sounded like. Can I ask you, are you a Jesus places hands on me again kind of person? Yeah. Here's my point. Don't be okay with blurry vision. Don't be okay with partial healing. Ask again. Keep going. Keep moving. Don't you be okay until you can see clearly. Don't you be okay until those wounds are healed to the best, to the best you possibly can ever experience. Don't you be okay. If it takes going to God 50 times, you go to him 50 times. You bring your blurry self to him. You bring your limps. You bring your scars. You bring your blood. You bring your questions. You bring your doubts. You bring every single thing, and you lay it out there, and you pray. And if you get 1% better, thank God. You got 99 more percent to go. Pray again and again and again and again and again. And hear me well. Time will not heal you. That is a myth. Well, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal anything. Time is not a healer. If you were hurt as a child or as a teen or as an adult and you have not been healed, your wounds remain. Time stopped where you were violated. You are still eight years old or 13 or 22 in that place. And until we heal, we remain. Time does not right wrongs. Time doesn't bring justice. Time doesn't create peace. Time doesn't heal. I'm sorry, but it doesn't. Time provides space, space to learn to survive, to make excuses, to erect walls, to numb the pain, to change the story. But time never heals. Time doesn't heal. There is healing. There is hope. There is life on the other side. But time isn't your savior you got to deal with it. So what will? What will? Four areas of our lives. I'm going to give you these very quickly. I don't have time to teach through these. I'm just going to give them to you quickly. Four areas of our life that need attention. And each area could be broken down into smaller areas, but that's not the purpose here. I'm just going to kind of give you the big picture, kind of whet your appetite, help you see the big picture. Four quadrants. Maybe in the near future, we'll we'll talk about these in more detail. These are essentials, what I call essentials of wholeness, okay? The first quadrant is life-giving relationships. Listen to me very carefully. Trauma is not what happened to you. That's also a myth. What happens to you, the thing, is neutral. Trauma is how we respond to what happened to us. In other words, it's not what happened to you that determines whether or not you experience trauma, but what happens in you as a result of what happened to you. And what happens in you when you experience bad situations depends greatly on the quality of the relationships around you. 
This is gold. This is gold right here. I wish I'd have put this on the screen. I didn't. What happens in you when something happens to you depends on who you have around you. I'm going to say that again. What happens in you when something happens to you greatly depends on who you have around you. In order for us to experience wholeness, we've got to have genuine, life-giving, wholesome, healthy, productive, encouraging, loyal friends. Research tells us as long as we have healthy relationships intact, when we experience traumatic experiences or situations, overall we do pretty good. We bounce back because we have friends around us. We have life-giving relationships in our life. They pick us up, they help us, they encourage us, they challenge us, they pray for us, they love us, they accept us even though we're broken. They help clean up the blood and the mess. It's why two people can experience the exact same horrible situation and one is resilient, bounces back, learns from it, becomes stronger, uses what he or she has learned to help other people and somebody else who experienced almost the exact same situation has ongoing trauma, depression, isolation, checks out. It's not the only reason why that happens, but often the reason is one had friends and one stayed isolated. Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their hard work. If either should fall, one can pick up the other, but how miserable are those who fall and don't have a companion to help? Because when you fall then, you're all by yourself. So much in that, I don't have time to go. Number two is continual spiritual growth. Continual spiritual growth. We are not merely material beings. We are also spiritual beings. And unless our spirit grows, unless our spirit matures, constantly being strengthened, we will never experience the benefits of wholeness. Hear me well. If your spirit is not continually growing, you will live with a gap. There will be an emptiness, a hole all the time. And you might not know what it is, so you'll try to fill that spiritual hole with all kinds of physical things. And you'll experience some relief and some pleasure and some fulfillment, but all of it will fall short. Why? Because you're attempting to fill up what is spiritual with what is physical, and it won't work. Matthew 4, we have a well-known story of the life of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus being led into the wilderness for 40 days. Then the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's Son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, it is written people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. What does that mean? You're not just physical, you're spiritual. You need not just bread, physical bread, you need spiritual bread. You have to have both. All right, third quadrant, physical health. Why is this important? Because our spirit person is housed within a physical body. Although we don't live by bread alone, we sure love bread. Can I get an amen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is about taking care of the bodies we have to the best of our abilities. And this is something, this is a confession time, this is something I did not do well when I was younger. I didn't do well. I was so focused on the spiritual side of things, reading scripture, attending university, finishing degrees, raising kids, pastoring churches. I didn't think much about my body. I was like, ah, it'll take care of itself. No, it won't. When you're young, you think you'll live forever, right? When you're young, you think, I'll be fine. I'll deal with all that stuff later. Not wise. Our bodies won't be okay unless we're intentional. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Oh, don't you know that your body is a temple? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God dwells in your body. 
Take care of it. Nurture it to the best of your ability. Man, each of our kids, Evan, Ashton, and Cameron, have done so much better than I did. I'm so proud of them. It has nothing to do with looking a certain way or keeping up with cultural trends. I'm talking about feeling good, being strong, caring for their body. I'm talking sleep, good food, exercise, recreation, avoiding substances that break your body down. You'll never be whole if you neglect caring for the body that God's Spirit lives in. Fourth quadrant I'm going to give you, last one today, is mental health. Watch, watch me just watch these running through here, these scriptures. Watch this. Psalm 42. Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? What a great question. Sometimes you need to wake up. <laughs> I didn't say this in the first service. I thought about this now. You should wake up on Monday morning, look in the mirror, and ask yourself that question. <laughs> Why? Why? Why are you so depressed? It's a great question to start the week off. Why are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? What's your problem, Scott? Why, why are you so down? Hope in God. Come on. Hope in God, because I will again give him thanks. My saving presence and my God. Do you see that? Grabbing a hold of the mental part of you. Health, mental health. Don't be anxious about anything, Philippians 4. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks, that the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and what? And your minds. Your hearts and your minds. Not just your heart, your mind too. Will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.7, God didn't give us a spirit that is timid. Some translations say the word fearful. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one that is powerful, loving, and self-controlled. Some translations use sound mind to wrap all three of those together. What is a sound mind? Right there. Right there. What is a sound mind? A sound mind is you're in control of yourself. You're able to lead yourself. You're, able to, you're not under the control of emotions and people and ideas that are contrary to truth. You have a sound, secure, controlled mind. You don't fluctuate all over the place. And some days you're down and some days you're up. And sometimes you greet people with, with, with kindness. And sometimes you're grumpy and mean. Now, I, that doesn't mean we don't have bad days or good days. I'm talking overall presence. So here's what it means, just kind of putting all four of these together. Here's, here's what it means to be whole, complete, total as a person. You're surrounded by a few healthy, loyal, loving, life-giving people you consider friends. You are constantly feeding your spirit, scripture, prayer, reading, reflection, learning, and as a result, you can see the evidence of growth and maturity in your life. Number three, you take care of your body and you feel good, healthy, and strong. And four, you are mentally balanced, self-controlled, and able to discern and respond to truth relationally, spiritually, physically, mentally healthy, a whole person. My daughter Ashton came up to me after the end of the first service. She said, you know, Dad, what you didn't say in those four things? And I said, what? She goes, you didn't say anything about money. I said, well, right. She, her point was, you don't have to have money to be whole. I said, you're right. You don't have to have fame to be whole. You don't have to look a certain way to be whole. Because here's what I've learned. When these four things are right, typically you keep a job. When these four things are good, typically your relationships are better. 
When these four things are good, you typically walk with more confidence. You typically look more attractive. I'm not talking about the physical. Just you ooze an attraction because your friendships are solid. Your spiritual growth is solid. Your physical health overall is solid. Your mental health, it changes your whole perspective on life, and you attract who you are, and who you are attracts other people. It's just all of it works together. It's a wholeness. So where do we go from here? Well, hey. From those four things, where are you strong? Where are you weak? What have you not given attention to? If you had to rate each quadrant, how would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? Maybe you would say, you know what? I really take care of my body. I take care of my relationships. I take care of my mental health. But I just I haven't been thinking much about my spiritual life. Okay. That's a great place to start. Or, you know, I read scripture and I'm growing and I really I feel good about this and this and my relationship with God and I, I work on my body. But I'm going to tell you what, my mind is just, it's all over the place. Mentally, I'm not good. Okay, okay. Where are you? Well, so let, me, let me tell you why I deal with a, a series like this and why I'm dealing with something so down to kind of where we live in this part today. I have a goal for you to be a whole healthy person. I've lived a long time in the church world, okay? Pastored a lot of people, seen a lot of things. I don't want to see you come into this place, and when Carla Beth or our band begins to sing, and they sing your favorite song, and you cry, and you feel all the, what we define as the spirit moving, and you have all those emotions and all those feelings, and you feel like you are just spiritually on top of the world. And you go home, and you're a hypocrite. Because you don't know how to interact with your wife or your kids or your husband. I don't want to see you come here and give money in the offering and serve on first impressions or sing in our band and look so spiritual, but you, you can't deal with traffic on your way home. You're yelling at your kids on the way home because they're talking too loud. They didn't bring your sweet tea fast enough at the dinner, praising God here and not loving people there. I have no goal for you to come here and act all spiritual, but yet struggle in your, in your mental world and just deal with panic and anxiety and trauma that you've never dealt with and you don't want to talk about it because you feel like you're weak if you do. I, w- I, want, you to, I want you to be a good Christian, sure, but I want you to be a good mom and a good dad. I want you to be a good friend. I want you to be a good teacher. I want you to be a good professional. I want you to be a good person overall in every area of your life whole. I want you to be a person who's complete and solid and healthy in every area. That's my goal for you. That's why I deal with trauma. That's why I deal with memories. That's why I deal with all these different things because I know it's all connected. It's all connected. I've lived it. I have stood on this platform, not, not necessarily this one, but a platform and preached and people loved everything I said or at least they lied to me and told me they did. And all the great things that come with that, oh, so good, that was so great, I loved it. And yet inside I was just dying. Dying hurting, broken. It's all connected. That's what I want for you, wholeness in every area. Every area.
All right, let me pray. Father, take this message series and just drive it deep. Father, we are people who, I don't know about other churches, I don't know about other gatherings, but I know this gathering. We need you to pray for us again and again and again because there's some of us who've been in church a long time and we're still, we still got blurry vision. We, we, we've been following you for a long time, but we still got blurry vision. We still got some things in our life that are just really off-center. And um, we need you to put your hands on us again and pray for us again. And I'm okay with that. As long as I'm moving forward, I don't care how slowly I'm moving forward. I just, I just want to keep moving forward. So speak into every person in this place. Speak into every family, every mom, every dad, every couple, every single, whether we're older or younger, whether we're in the best time of our lives or we're in the most dark and difficult parts of our lives. Speak into us. Bring healing and bring wholeness. Bring life. Bring truth that sets us free. We give ourselves to you and we ask you to do the work in us because we can't do it on our own. We are in desperate need of your touch, of your presence, of your power, of your spirit, of a miracle that takes place at your hand. This is what we ask for. This is what we depend on. This is what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next week, we're getting ready to skull, and we're going to something more positive, right? <laughs> people problems. Anybody ever have any people problems? Yeah, people problems. We're going to deal with what does that look like? What does Scripture say about people problems? And uh, we're getting ready to move into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, and I know what it's like when you have to go see in-laws and cousins and then people you hadn't seen in a long time. Sometimes there's some people problems that happen during the holiday season. What does that look like, and how can we move to a very healthy place with that? What does Scripture say? What does the Gospel say? So we're going to deal with that beginning next Sunday. Love to have you here as we kick off that new series. Thank you. All right, guys, so before you leave, we have a couple announcements we want to give you. Um, first, if you are new here at Forest Park, we want you to fill out a Connect card. You can do that virtually by going to epilive.org connect, or you can scan this QR code. It'll take you there for a digital copy. Um, if you do not want to do a digital copy, we have a copy in the seat back pocket in front of you. It's a white card um, just to get a few information like your name, your phone number, things like that. Um, and then you can take that to the new here area right afterwards, and they will give you a gift just to say thank you for joining us for our service today. Um, next, we have, what's next, Preston? Oh, the Fall Festival. Um, so we have the Fall Festival tonight for our 6th through 12th graders. Um, they can come in their costume. We're going to have hay rides. We're going to do pumpkin painting, a lot of fun things. Preston and I are going to be Barbie and Ken tonight, so that's going to be fun. Um, so... 6th or 12th graders, if you have them, bring them. Um, they can bring a friend. We'll have food, all the fun things and um, fun October activities for them to be a part of tonight. Starts at 5 o'clock, ends at 7. 
And then on November 12th, we have baptism. Um, we've talked about this for a couple of weeks. You can go to fplive.org slash baptism to register, or you can head to the New Here area. They can direct you in a way to sign up there. And then you'll get an email or a text or a phone call about all the information that you need to have for November 12th. So we'll have that after second service. And then last but not least, we have night of worship. Um, they talked about this in the pre-show this morning, but... This is just a time, if you enjoy the, the worship here at Forest Park, it's just that times 50. So we're going to do eight songs instead of three. Um, it's just going to be a great time for us to introduce some new songs for us to worship together. So you definitely want to be a part of that. Um, come early. The doors open at 630. It starts at 7. So come a little bit early so you can get a really good seat. Bring your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, so we can all enjoy that time of worship together. All right, guys. Well, I hope you have a great week, and thanks for coming.